of the Just Ask It Already series where we're going to answer all the rest of the questions that were submitted to us um, and hopefully give you enough information. Like, With me answering all the rest of them, it's not going to be like very pinpoint specific, but hopefully just enough information to get you to understand why we believe what we believe or why I believe what I believe on this subject. Um, and hopefully just enough to get you interested enough to start digging in for yourself. Because listen, if you listen, like I said last week, if you listen to every word that I say as it, comes, as it is from the Word of God, as it is the Word of God, then I have failed you. Okay? So hopefully this gives you just enough interest in maybe one of the questions. And feel free, if you dis, like I said, said all, if you disagree with something I say, I'm okay with it. Come talk to me after the service. We can have a conversation. Email me further questions. I'll answer them. I am, listen. This is kind of the whole point of this series that we've, we do this series every week. Is listen, God is not scared of our questions, and we shouldn't be scared of questions either. You with me? Like he is, like he he wants he wants you to know him. That's the whole point of us having the, the the Bible that we have. Is he wants us to know him. The reason he wants us to pray and trust and have faith in the moving of the Spirit is because he wants us to know him, and wants us to know he wants us to know how to live. Unlike some other religions, that. You just hope that you're doing good enough to make it. You with me? You tracking? So we're gonna do today shotgun style, where I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna read the question, and I'm also we're gonna speed through a lot of these questions. I'm really excited about the first one, and so I put it up front just so we one we can get a chuck on one. We can go. All the men can go. Yes. Okay. You'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so shotgun style. <coughs> Here's the first question. You ready? So if you're visiting with us today. You're listening, this is not a normal sermon. Just bear with us. Come back next week, okay? It's totally okay. It's okay. Is it okay to lust after your wife? Ooh! If not, how do you stop? Well, here's the question. That Well, here's the verses that we want to answer because, listen, y'all, Brittany is hot. <laughs> and I love what the Bible says about marriage relationship. And by marriage, I mean the way that God ordained it to operate in. You with me? If you don't know how God op- had it to operate it in, one, go to Genesis 2 and 3, and then read the first couple chapters of Romans, and you'll find out what I mean. Man and husband joined together. Man, man, has, man and wife joined together. I about just went total opposite of what the Bible says. Okay? Husband and wife. Husband and wife joined together. You might want to cut that part out. Uh, hus- husbands and wife joined together. In the image of God. And so here is what the Bible says about lusting after your wife. Proverbs 5.18 says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Ooh, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you all, all the times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And I'm going to read another translation. I love the way this translation says it. You ready? Same, same passage. Your sex life will be blessed as you take joy in the pleasure and pleasure in the wife of your youth. Let your let her breast be your satisfaction, and let your let her embrace intoxicate you at, at all times. Be continually delighted and ravished with her love. Whew, hallelujah! There, okay, Genesis two twenty four. All the women are like, "Oh God, don't read no more." <laughs> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Some of y'all men need to leave your mamas. You with me? Get out of the basement. Playing the video games. That's for you, Zane. <laughs> Find you a woman 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become what? One flesh. That's sex, y'all. Just saying. Two become one. Song of Solomon. You ready? Song of Solomon 4, verse, verse 10 says, How satisfying to me, my equal, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling, and your sweet perfume praises so exotic, so pleasing. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O oh, loved one, with all your delights. Your stature. This, this is a different one, isn't it? I'm going to go ahead and just keep reading because, you know, hey, hey. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, my. All the teenagers are like, oh, my God. Zane's a fierce face is red. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, my. Your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best, like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved gliding over lips and teeth. I am, I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let, let us go into the fields and lodge into the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have, bud, have budded, whether the grapes blossoms have opened, and, pomeg- and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. So can you lust after your wife? Heck yes! And in fact, often... Zane's making jokes over here. Do you already say that sucks for you, Dad? <laughs> You're grounded. <laughs> Here's the deal. We should chase after our spouses. And if we're failing to chase after our spouses, like often, I'm going to be honest, I'm not very good at chasing. Okay? But our, our role as married couples is becoming one is to chase after each other. Listen, if you want to be a better husband, if you, wanna, if you want your wife to be better husbands, guess what you have to do? You have to become a better husband. How do you become a better husband? You chase after her. Dine her. Woo her. Brittany knows. She's walking in the door. Yeah, see? She doesn't even know what I'm talking about. She's walking in the door. Wives, if you want a better husband, husband, guess what? You have to become a better wife. Chase after him. Give him what he wants. I'm not just talking that way. Okay? But yes, lust after your spouse. Lust after your spouse. Chase them down. Chase them down. See why that's my favorite one? Okay, okay. So moving on. Now we get into a little bit more serious stuff. If you, have, if you, if you want to question me on that one, I'm just going to be like, go talk to your spouse. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Second question. This is, this, is kind of a, this is kind of a deep one. How do you explain dinosaurs not being in the Bible when there's more proof of dinosaurs than many of the biblical stories? It's a good question. We had a similar question last time we did this series, and here's I'm going to read the same two passages that I did before. Then we're going to, since and then we're going to talk about the second part of that because I think that's actually a fallacy that we need to look into more. That's not really an argument because I'll just get to it. Okay, how do you explain dinosaurs not being in the Bible when there's more proof of dinosaurs than many other biblical stories? Well, there are dinosaurs in the Bible. Hello, here and here they are. There's two different ones actually mentioned. Um, within a chapter part. The first one is Job 40, verses 15 through 24. It says this, Behold, behemoth, which I made, which I made. So let me just give you context here. This is God talking to Job. Job has just recently started to question God. 
and God says, dress for action like a man or put on a cup because we're about to throw down. Let me answer your question on who I am. Okay? He's describing everything that he's created. Things that Job sees with his eyes. And this is two of the things that he says he created. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, he eats grass like an ox, but behold, his strength is in his loins and his power is in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. I don't know about y'all. Most people say, well, they're talking about an elephant there. I don't know how many elephant tails you have seen in your life. <laughs> no. I mean, they're talking like, bam, like tails. This... Somebody's calling me, and it ain't Jesus. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews or the tendons that hold his muscles to his bones of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He, he is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bear, bear, bring near his sword. Meaning the only thing that can take him down is the one who created it. That's how big and monstrous this thing is. Okay, For the mountains yield food for him where, where all the wild beasts play. Under the, under, under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and, and, and in the marsh. For his, his shade, for, for his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though the Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Does that sound like any animal you see walking around right now? No. Job 41, 12. So that's one dinosaur. Job 41, 12. You're like, Derek, that didn't really, you can't really prove that. Like, okay, well, here's the next dinosaur, the Leviathan. You ready? I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his, uh, or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields. I mean, that sounds like, what's that one that has the dinosaur, the dinosaur that has the little shield that stick up on the back? Stegosaurus. Shut up closely as with a seal, but here's the thing. It's not a stegosaurus. About to tell us kind of what it is. His back is made of rows. I'm going to go, 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 go. His back is made of rows of shields. Shut up closely as with a seal. One is near the another that, that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They're, jo they're joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezing flashes forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. What does this sound like? Because wherever there is mythology, there has to come from some sort of truth. You tracking? Okay. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from boiling pot and burning, uh, and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and, and a flame comes from his mouth. In, the, in his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together firmly, cast on him and immovable. So your argument to say that the Bible doesn't mention dinosaurs It does. So let's answer the second part of this question. 
was the, about the uh, no um, no proof of stories in the Bible. And here's what you have to understand, okay? Uh, first of all, if you're talking about parables that Jesus spoke, I'm with you. Because they're moral stories to teach a lesson. Like the prodigal son. Like, there probably was not a man who had a son. That was, that was a story that, that Jesus was help, using to help teach. Just like old fables that your parents would tell you to help teach you a lesson. Or to teach you a concept or a moral, moral thing. I get that. I would agree with you. When it comes to some of those parables, it makes sense that you have that argument. But I had 40 different proofs, like non-Christian, non-proofs, but we're, of proofs of stories in the Bible, okay? But we're only going to do four because for time's sake. You with me? So almost everything that you can... Every event, every every place, you, the only thing that you cannot find at the moment in, in, in a lot of my research right now is nobody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. Okay, But just so you guys are aware, the Bible does say that the Ark will be hidden until the day of the Lord. So you're not going to find it. So if, if it's found, we better, we're like, why am I still here? You with me? You with me? So, so here we're going to go. We're going to go over four of the forty that I had listed. Okay, um, if you want to go ahead and put the per, first picture up, <laughs> many have said throughout the century. Critics have said that Pilate was a made-up fictional character. Pilate was the one that stood um, Jesus to trial in front of. He's the one that let Barabbas go. And most people thought that he was a made-up character because there was no proof that he was actually a a governor or a prefect of Judea. Well. In, 19, in June of 1961, um, this limestone block was discovered. And in Latin, this is what, of course, some of it's eroded away. But this, the, what they have right there, this is what that, what that says. And just give you this limestone come from like the, corner or, um, like the corner piece of a temple or a monument of, of sorts. Um, that Pontius Pilate that we're going to read here in a second um, actually had, had erected for Augustus, one of the leaders or one of the rulers of Rome at the time, as a way of saying, don't kill me because of the riots that happened in, in Israel. Okay? But on this stone, what we can read there, here's what, here's what you have. That to the divine Augustus, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated. So there's proof of a biblical character in the Bible outside of scientific or out of, out of, outside of biblical, just reading the Bible. Here's the second thing. Prior to 1888, critics ousted the story of the man being healed beside the pool of Bethesda because there was no archaeological proof of said pool. Okay? But, but, going to the next one. In 18, 1888, they discovered one, uh, one pool, and then over the next few years, unearthed what you see in this picture which matches the description of this story being a five-colonnade pool in John 5. So this one story that was said that was just added in, that was no proof, there was no proof, because there's no archaeological proof of this pool ever existing, they found said Bethesda pool. And there's actually, they found a stone and carved with Bethesda. Okay? So there's two 
Next one, it says, many believe that Hezekiah's tunnel, if you read um, like 2 Chronicles 32, 20, it describes the tunnel. Like Most people believe that the, tu- the tunnel of Hezekiah, um, one, was a fake story because there was no archaeological proof of said tunnel, but also an implausible feat if you, if you read its dimensions and how long it was. Like, how could they have done that with just hand tools? So they were like, this is a made-up story, this is whatever. But in 1867, they unearthed the entrance to said tunnel, and it matches the description of the tunnel found in Scripture. And you can actually go there today and walk through the tunnel. You might want to wear waterproof shoes because this tunnel was built to, to usher water into the middle of the city as, and, and, uh, and as a way of escaping um, uh, escaping uh, when people, they, they would be raided by other countries. Um, so said tunnel's been found. You can actually go walk through it. Just wear waterproof shoes. And here's, here's interesting that most people probably don't even know is that for many years, King David was viewed as a non-real person because there was no proof of there ever being, a written proof of there ever being, other outside of Scripture, of there being a King David that ruled Jerusalem. Okay? Crazy. Like, people are crazy. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so, it, like, a lot of people viewed, started viewing this. So this is just one of those moral characters from like a parable like they would they're like one i wouldn't write this much about one fake person you know what i'm saying and wouldn't proclaim a whole book that he wrote psalms to, to somebody who didn't exist but neither my argument not my argument you with me um so for many people they believe this is a, a fictitious character just as a person who was to be a moral story well the next picture in 1993, in the city of Tel Dan, which Tel Dan was the residential place for King David outside of the palace. That was his, like, home. That, that was where all of his homies were, okay? That's where his house was. And what they, in, in 1993, in the city of Tel Dan, where David's house is spoken to be, the Tel Dan steel was discovered with the inscription, which is the, the Hebrew inscription is this, um, which it, that's a lot of Hebrew. With this little highlighted part right here, that they kind of shaded in right there, that literally translates the house of David. So, to say there are no proof of biblical stories is a fallacy, and to say that dinosaurs, or dinosaurs aren't in the Bible is also a fallacy, because both are. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. There are not only way more, I mean, I had 40 that I wanted to share, but I'm going to wait archaeological things, but there's also writings of Josephus, who was a, a, a Jewish historian who actually worked for Rome, much like Matthew. People didn't like him very much. He actually wrote history for Rome and talked about stories of these Christians who followed this Messiah who was raised from the dead. And you're like, Derek, that could just be like, you know, he might be secretly a follower. No, like he hated Christians. He hated Christians. Yeah, and there's like, like there, you could, if you look, there's throughout history, there is secular or non-Christian evidence of biblical stories. You just have to look into it. You don't really have to look far. God bless us with Google. You with me? <laughs> Are we good? Good. Let's go to the next one. This one's going to get me in trouble. Okay. Because there's two sides of this argument, and you can listen to people on both sides of this argument, like I have, and go, well, they're right. 
And you, the, the other side of the argument, you can go, well, they're right. And so what I'm going to talk about today is where I land at the moment. You with me? Where I land at the moment. So if you disagree with me, cool, okay? This is where I am in the moment based on what I've won. I mean, this isn't like the only time that I've studied this but, or looked into this, but it's just where I, where I stand at the moment. Okay, you with me? <laughs> so here we go. Thoughts, words on women called to ministry as preachers. See how this can get, this is going to get tricky. <sighs> so on one hand, to address this question slash thing, one hand you have to do something with Miriam, who was a prophet, Deborah, who was a judge and was described as a spiritual leader, but you have to understand the judges in this time when it talks about Deborah, they were actually leaders of country, of the country, because there wasn't king, a king at the time. Okay, you have to do something because part of the argument is women can't be leaders of men. Okay, she clearly was in the Old Testament. Anna, who was a prophet in the New Testament, and this lady named Janiah, mentioned by Paul as a kinsman or as he said, like me, an apostle. On one hand, you have to do something with that if you're against women in leadership. Okay? But then on the other hand, you also have to do stuff with some other things Paul wrote. You with me? 1 Corinthians 14, 34 starts off by saying, The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be, should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, then let them ask her husbands, at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, you just said Janiah was a kinsman and apostle just like you. See what else he said? Because you also have to do something with this. But every wife who prays or prophesies, prophesying is just another way of preaching. It's preaching, like what it is. With, with her head uncovered, so apparently you can do it if your head's covered. Dishon uh, dishon uh, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head was shaven. Okay? So, on one hand, your Paul's like, yeah, I had this woman who's just like me, an apostle, a leader inside the church. And one minute, it's like, they cannot speak in church. Another one, like, if you read that in context, well, they can speak if they have their head covered. You with me? Okay? So, you, ha so you have that. <clears throat> um, and, the and then you have... Uh, 1 Timothy 2.12 that says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So the question is, which is it? Can a woman speak at all or should a woman stay silent? Can a woman teach at all? Can a woman stay silent? On one hand, Paul mentions Janiah as a fellow apostle and says a woman should stay silent. They can't lead men, but then says they can't speak if they keep their head covered. See the pickle that this kind of puts people in? Like, what, what is it? See why this is such a conundrum? What's the big word? I'm telling myself. Here's what, here's, so here's where I stand right now. I'm not saying I'm exactly right. I'm not saying I'm exactly wrong. I'm just saying this is where I stand now. And I encourage you to study it for yourself. And if I get clarification one day, I'll say, we are, here's, so here's my thing. We are all called to the priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the right 
sight of God, chosen and precious. You, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as, spiritual, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I desire... Oh, don't go, don't just go back up. That's that Timothy. So here's my thing. Why don't we all just go preach the good news? All go preach the good news. So here's, here's what we have to investigate. And this is... This is you have to understand, this is where I am right now. We have to investigate, yes, the husband is the head of the household, right? Ephesians clearly says that. Head of the household. The Bible clearly says that. And, that, and although Ephesians says that a wife should be submissive to her husband, right before it it says the same thing about a husband to the point of laying down his life for her. So here's the deal that we have to investigate. Rather, the things Paul wrote were written for cultural reasons and educational reasons or moral and governing reasons. So for now, I'm in agreement with, with this guy. His name is Millard Erickson. He was a theologian and a professor at, um, theology at, professor of theology at Western Seminary who passed away in 1932. So this ain't some new young blood, new person, okay? <laughs> like, this is what he said. And this is kind of where I stand right now. That pro, prohibition, that, that, that he says, the prohibitions and the statements of qualification were expressed in a culture in which women were not afforded opportunities for education necessary for exercising teaching and leading roles in which female leadership would have been unacceptable. So this reason is why I think it's a, the reason Paul wrote it was culturally and educationally. And here's why. And it's okay if you disagree with me. If you go back to those same passages that he says for a woman not to, not to speak in church or to keep their head covered, it's a cult. Like it's a culture. Like if you let me just give you the context of both of those. First Timothy two eight. <coughs> I desire that in every place the man should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. And here's what I mean. That was a cultural thing. So if we're going to tell a woman, no, you cannot speak in church, we might as well tell the girls they cannot sing or play instruments anymore because they're worship leaders. And if they are going to do it, you're going to have to cover your hair. And don't you dare buy your wife any more pearls or gold or allow her to braid her hair tracking with me because if we're gonna if we're gonna say well it's Paul what Paul means is this is how the church is governed okay well then don't allow your wife to braid her hair or wear jewelry you with me it, it, so but with with what is proper for a woman who professes godliness with good works let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness because they lacked educational abilities in that time. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And if we go on to 1 Corinthians eleven six, it says this, for if a, if a wife will not cover her head, then she will cut her hair short. <coughs> so if you're not going to cover your hair, ladies, since, we're, since people want to push this, you need to shave your head like a man. Okay? But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut off their hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. 
For a man ought not to cover his head, since it is the image and the glory of God. But women, but woman is the glory of man. For a man was not made for from woman, but woman from man. You're like, see there? Okay. Neither was man created for woman. She don't need you. But woman for man. Because here's the question. If they're supposed to go ask their husband, I guess all the single ladies are out of luck, right? Neither was a man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And this is just a reference to this belief of angels sleeping with with women of, oh, fallen angels sleeping with women of earth way back in the Old Testament, okay? So just, just so you guys are aware. Nevertheless, in the... Nevertheless, in the Lord, women, a woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so men is now born of woman, and all things are from God. That's Paul basically saying, men are not better than women, and women are not better than men. Judge for yourself, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? You decide. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgraceful for him? And then we depict Jesus having long hair? Come on, y'all. Just saying. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for her covering. And so, see, really, the, it's a, to me, that reads more of, here's cultural standards of the time, and educational standards of the time. You with me? That's where I stand. So you're aware. That doesn't negate who the leader of the household is because at the end of the day, you're supposed to be submissive too, even to the point of laying your life down for him. You with me? You are not better than the other. That's just where I stand right now. Okay. I still have some questions myself about some of that. You with me? But you asked the question, this is where I stand, I stand right now. Okay. There we go. Thanks for asking. Okay, let's go to the next one. Does the Old Testament still apply to us today? If so, what parts and why is it important that we continue to follow it? Well, to answer this question, we have to go back to a writing of Paul when he wrote a letter to Timothy and to us when he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God <coughs> may be complete, equipped, complete equipped for every good work. So here's a question I want to ask. When Paul was writing this to Timothy, what was considered scripture? What we view as the Old Testament. Okay? The New Testament as we have it today wasn't canonized and put it together. You with me? So, what he is talking about here is what we consider the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is good for us. Okay? It's good for teaching. It's good for reproof. You don't know what reproof means? It's an expression of blame or disapproval, correction, training in righteousness, and equipping. The only part that doesn't apply to us, and it's not that it doesn't apply to us, but that we're not bound by it anymore is the law found in the Old Testament. We are not bound by the law. That was the whole point of Romans. If you didn't get that, then I failed you. Okay? 
We just, that was the last, like we spent like 16, 18 weeks on the book of Romans. So I failed you if you didn't get that. So we're not bound by the law anymore, but the law is still good for us to follow. You know why? Now I'm not talking about the stuff that the Pharisees and the Sadducees made up according to the law, off the law. I'm talking about the law itself because here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Ready? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in, in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Why are those two the greatest of all time? The goats of the law. Here we go. You ready? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if we're going to love God with all of our heart, and we're going to love people the same way. Everything that's written in the commandments and the law will be fulfilled in us following those two. But we're not bound by it. We're bound by the blood of Jesus now. So we're not going to be held, it's not going to be held against us anymore. You with me? We're just, it's, it's just like, hey, we should strive to live by the law. But we have this grace, this Jesus that allows us to be forgiven of when we fail. Okay? Here's a fun one. <coughs> Is outer space ever talked about in the Bible? Okay? Uh, yes. Genesis 1, this is not uh, the scripture that I'm going to read out. It isn't like all the scripture that mentions outer space, but it's just some. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, or outer space, everything we see in the sky, and the earth. Genesis 1.16, and God made the two great lights. What are the two great lights? Anybody know? The sun and the moon. Okay, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Job 26.7 says, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Ooh, y'all. There's actually another verse that talks about um, earth, like the Bible says, earth was a, like a sphere shape. Okay, so flat earthers, sorry. But he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on the stars. All throughout the book of Revelation, you have the sun, moon, and the stars talked about. Isaiah 42 5, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what, and, and, and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it. And, 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 and the spirit to those who walk in it. Actually, in the, and here's one about those last two verses, actually, about stretching, about God stretching the heavens, stretching the universe. In the last century, scientists have discovered, in the last century, maybe century and a half, they discovered that the universe or space is constantly expanding. Welcome to the Bible. Before scientific method and telescopes Isaiah and Job both mentioned that God stretches out the universe constantly. You're welcome. Next question. If you, blas if you use blasphemy, will you not go to heaven? Well, first we have to understand what blasphemy really is. The act of, it's this, a blasphemy is the act or the offense of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things. But the Bible specifically says that what is unforgivable is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
not blasphemy of God or blasphemy of Jesus, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Luke 12, 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Matthew 12, 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So if you're like, I don't know if I believe that's about the Holy Spirit, you better, whoa, 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 just in case. You with me? I don't know if the Spirit works that way. Well, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you right now because I don't want to, I'm just waiting for the lightning bolt. <clears throat> you with me? Just kidding. So here's, here's my thought on it, okay? Is this. Listen, there's people who deny Jesus every day, deny God all day, who end up becoming believers. Okay? And here, so here's my thought. If you get to the point to where you're, you're willing to, to speak against or to speak or to speak negatively of the Holy Spirit, you're to the point to where even if you had the chance, you wouldn't return yourself. You with me? Like if it gets to the point where like you wouldn't want to do like you want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And that's just where I am. So the reason it's unacceptable is because you yourself wouldn't even want it to begin with. You with me? <clears throat> Alright. I think this is the last one. The Bible references the book of Enoch. Have you ever have you studied it? Would you ever have a teaching on it? Well, to answer your first question. I wouldn't say I have studied it, but I have read parts of it. <coughs> okay. The book of Enoch is mentioned in Jude 1 through 14, 14 through 15 when it says this. It was also about, about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Enoch is uh, the great grandfather of Noah. Yeah. Um, the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. To execute judgment on all and, and, and convict all the ungodly of all their deeds and the ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch is also mentioned in Hebrews 11.5 when he says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, he was not found because God had taken him. And now... Now, before he was taken, he was commanded, commended as having pleased God. And then Second Peter 2, starting verse 4, is actually a quote from the book of Enoch when it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy, of gloomy darkness to, to be kept until a judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a, a flood upon the world of the ungodly. <laughs> so that first part of that was a quote from the book of Enoch. Um, so to some degree, we have to agree that the apostles and early church held the book of Enoch in high honor. Okay? Even some sects of Jewish people still today still use the portions that we have of said book of Enoch. But here's what we have to understand. We don't, there's no copy, that manuscript of the entire book of itself. We only have parts and pieces. That way, that's why if you were to buy 
a copy of the Book of Enoch. There's parts of it that seem kind of choppy because the parts that are in between where we don't have copies of some hard breaks, okay? Um, but they held it in, in, to some extent as high honor. Even some people still do today. But the Book of Enoch was written by Noah's great-grandfather in roughly 300 B.C. So honestly, we don't have a complete copy of it. Um, the copies of it that we that you can buy today isn't the entire book. So here's my deal on the Book of Enoch. I probably wouldn't do a teaching on it because it's not in our canonical Bible and because we don't have full manuscripts of it. <coughs> now, would I read it or reference it for contact, context? Sure. Much like I would do the Apocrypha, which is a whole other argument of, if you, if you grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. If you have an, a, a real 1611 King James, it has the Apocrypha in it. I'm not talking about the revised edition. I'm talking about the original 1611 King James. There's a, there's a set of books that's in between the New Testament and the Old Testament that they had in there that I would look at for historical content. Like those, it talks about things that really happened, like the Maccabean War. Okay? Like, I would look at that, but I probably would not do a study as because it, because as of now, Enoch has no authority over our life. You tracking with me? Cool. So, yes, I've read it. I've read parts of it. I haven't, like, studied, studied it. Would I use it? Uh, well, as a reference, maybe, but not as a, this is, thus saith the Lord type word from God. You with me? Everybody good? Any more questions? If you have any questions about anything that I said today or in this series, feel free to email me, meet me at the service, whatever, and we'll take care of it, okay? I love you guys. I'm going to pray. And here's the thing that I want you guys to know, okay? This is the reason why I do, here's, here's the reason why I love doing this series every week is sometimes we're scared to ask questions, right? We're like, am I supposed to question God? I don't want to be like Job and him tell me to dress for action like a man. Like, God is okay with you asking your questions because he wants you to know it. In fact, he was actually okay with Job asking him some questions because it put Job in a proper stance at the end. Don't be fearful to ask God questions. Don't be fearful to bring your questions to people who have been believers longer than you or may know more than you. It doesn't show that you're weak. It doesn't show that you're not smart. It just shows that you're seeking the God who you say you serve. It's okay to ask questions. Just ask it already. You with me? Also, after I pray, don't forget to write. God gave you a number over the last 43 days. Come here and write it on the card. Put it in the bucket, like I said before. I don't know what it's for. I'm just doing what God wanted me to do. And I didn't pray that he gives me what, gives me what these numbers are for because I look pretty foolish right now because <laughs> I still don't know. All right? I love you guys. I mean it. Have a good week. Pray for me and Brittany as, I, as we pray for you all. And God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come here and worship you and to answer your questions to our, the best of our ability and our knowledge, God. And I pray that even in disagreements, that maybe this urges people, urges people to, to pursue a relationship with you, to pursue knowledge of you, to pursue to dig into your beautiful, wonderful, magnificent, creative, inspiring word. And as they dig in, their relationship with you builds. God, give them the courage to, to come to the cross because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and lay their questions down and say, I need an answer. 
God, pray as we enter to, into this Christmas and Thanksgiving series and uh, season, God, that you just you move any distraction out of the way and focus on what really matters. You and our loved ones. May we be a light to our families. And I pray all this in your name.